talking about communion. Now, this morning already I've had a lot of people ask how I'm feeling. And here's how it goes. Either you say, hey, Dave, how are you feeling? Because you really want to know that I'm feeling much better. And I can go, wow, I'm feeling much better. And you can feel really good. And I can feel like a liar. Or, <laughs> or you know, I can go, no, I feel terrible. And then you get that disappointed look on your face. And I feel that judgment of, you know, you must have some unconfessed sin in your life or something. <laughs> so let's just leave the subject of how I'm feeling alone, okay? I'm here. <laughs> As we began looking last week in 1 Corinthians 11, Paul was talking about communion, the Lord's Supper, and we will be partaking of communion this morning. But in the section we looked at last week, Paul was saying, your behavior is so out of sync with what communion is all about, because you're divided and you're being selfish, you think it's all about you, you're being pigs, you're you're dividing between the people who have a lot and the people who don't have much and making people who don't have much feel like they're second-class citizens. And he says that's not what communion is about at all. But here, beginning with verse 23, Paul begins to talk about what communion is about and what its ramifications are for us. Verse 23, 1 Corinthians chapter 11 For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you. That is, Jesus told me about this, and so I told you about it. That the Lord Jesus, on the same night on which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Paul was retelling the story of what had happened with Jesus and his disciples right before Jesus was crucified. Jesus celebrated the Passover with his disciples. And as they finished up the Passover, Jesus explained to them the significance of the bread and the cup and instituted something that was a whole new perspective. As Jesus personalized the Passover and made it clear that he was the Passover lamb. But he also instituted communion by which they would no longer have to partake of the Passover because he fulfilled the Passover. But he instituted communion so that they would remember what he was about to do. Now, the Passover was instituted as the beginning of the Old Covenant, the First Covenant, by God when the children of Israel were in captivity in Egypt. They were there as slaves in Egypt, and through Moses, the Lord was going to set them free. And so Moses was dealing with Pharaoh and demanding that he let God's people go. Well, Pharaoh was stubborn. So finally, after a series of plagues and after Pharaoh continued to change his mind, finally God had to do one that would release them for sure. And this was on the night of Passover. He said that the oldest of every family, the oldest child, the oldest animal, 
on this one night, the angel of the Lord would move through the camp and would destroy, would kill the eldest of each family. Unless you were to sacrifice a lamb and take the blood of the lamb and sprinkle it in the shape of a cross, the top and sides of the doorposts there on the house. And if the angel saw that cross on the door, he would pass over that home and would move on to the next. Now, as this was instituted, and it was called the Passover because God would pass over those who were covered by the blood. As this was instituted, Moses told the people, because God told them to, now, you're about to travel. You're about to go. And he said, as a result, as you celebrate this meal, keep your belt on, keep your jacket on, keep your shoes on, because you need to be ready to roll. We're going somewhere. And he also said, by the way, this is the start of a new year. We're going to change the calendar at this point because this for Israel represents a fresh start, a new year, a new beginning, and a time when they're ready to move out of that slavery, out of the oppression that they had been living with, and instead to move toward that promised land that God had prepared for them. And so the imagery of the Passover is a, is a beautiful one for the children of Israel. And they would always remember it because they remember that God gave them a fresh start and that he led them out and ultimately in to the promised land. Now, it wasn't that easy because as they got into the wilderness for what would have just been a journey of a few days to the promised land, um, they rebelled against God repeatedly. And so they had to, a whole generation lost their lives in the wilderness until the new generation finally got to enter the promised land and, and to have that which God had promised for them. So here, as Jesus celebrates this meal, he said, but this is a new covenant. I'm doing something fresh with you, instig- instituting something that will mean more to you than that Passover ever meant. Because in the new covenant, God was declaring that all of his people, that everyone could come to him. That it wasn't just about the Jews, it was open to everyone, and their sins could be forgiven. And this time, there's no way that they could botch it up. Over in Jeremiah chapter 31, Jeremiah talks about this new covenant. And in, uh, you can turn over there if you'd like, Jeremiah 31, beginning with verse 31. It says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel, with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, My covenant which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they all shall know me. 
From the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and their sin I will remember no more. See, in the new covenant, man's sin wasn't going to be able to mess it up anymore. Because now, as Jesus Christ would give his life, as he would be that perfect lamb sacrificed there on the Passover, as he would be the one who would pay the penalty for our sins, as Isaiah says, the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. Now there's nothing that stands in the way from us people knowing God personally and entering into a relationship with him. And that's the new covenant. And that's what Jesus said as he celebrated communion with them and encouraged them to continue to celebrate communion. He said, this is the start of something huge. This is the start of something magnificent. The author of Hebrews over in Hebrews chapter 8 quotes Jeremiah 31 and and talks about how Jesus brought in this new covenant. And the fact that a covenant was a last will and testament. Someone had to die for a will to take effect. And so Jesus died. Even as the lambs died for the first covenant, and that wasn't enough to fix everything, the Lord himself died for the second covenant, the new covenant, and gave us this fresh start. And in the same way, as we celebrate communion, the new covenant speaks to us of a fresh start. Because every time I look at my life and every time I come to him and I receive from him his forgiveness of sins, I start over. All the baggage from before is all in the past. I have a new bright future laid out ahead of me. I have a journey. If I am going to come to him, I need to be ready to move because he doesn't save me and tell me to sit down and just stay. There's a journey. There's a promised land. There are things that he wants to do in my life and through me. And so even in the first covenant, as they were told, keep your jacket on, keep your shoes on. It's traveling time. So the second covenant, the new covenant, speaks to us of of that journey that God has for us. The lessons that he lays out ahead of us, the plans that he wants to unfold in our lives, but the fresh start. And it's a special time to celebrate this when we're approaching a new year. It's always a good feeling when one year is over and the next year is starting not just because of all the football games, although that's certainly a part of it um, for me. But, uh, but beyond that, it's the feeling of, you know, I have mixed emotions about 2007. During this year, I've experienced a lot of great things. God's been faithful, and I thank him for it. But also there are things that happened this year that I'd just as soon forget. There are areas where I've failed or where others have failed me, and Things, tragedies have happened in various people's lives. And as a result, in some ways, I'm glad this year is over. And I'm looking forward to the next year to seeing what God wants to do. Well, that fits perfectly with the idea of covenant. It fits perfectly with the significance of communion. It's time to move forward. It's time to tip our hat to the past, but to put our coats on for the future. 
and to move ahead and see what God is going to do in our lives in this coming year. And communion is a glorious way to celebrate that because it's all about fresh starts. It's all about the new covenant. It's all about God's promise to us. And it's a great thing indeed. And so he says, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim, literally preach, the Lord's death till he comes. As you partake in communion, you are declaring that all things are new. You are declaring that Jesus Christ died for us, that he has forgiven our sins, that we can start over and move forward in him. And so it's a wonderful time and a wonderful thing to be able to do. Now, before moving on, I want to at least comment briefly on the elements of communion because they've divided the church over the centuries and people have different ideas as exactly what communion means. There are basically three basic views of communion. One is a view called transubstantiation. That's the view of the Roman Catholic Church. They say that when Jesus said, this is my body and this is my blood, what he was saying was, as you partake in communion, when you bless those elements, they literally make a, undergo a molecular change and they turn into the body and blood of our Lord with his DNA even there. Now, if you weren't raised a Catholic, that sounds preposterous to you. Come on, you believe that if you put it under a microscope, it would type out as Jesus' blood type. And, you know, that seems nuts to us, but that's, that was the view of the Catholic Church. Um, and I don't fault them for it, because Jesus said, this is my body, this is my blood. So I'm never going to get down on someone for taking the Bible too literally. But there were others during the Reformation who said, I don't think it's actually the physical body and blood of Jesus and they came up through Martin Luther. His idea was, well, we call it consubstantiation. It means it doesn't change into, but it's with in every way. That the actual literal presence of Jesus, it's not in the bread and the cup, but it's all around it, surrounding it. It's so close to being him that mystically in some way he exists there in the elements. There have been others, and the predominant view today probably is what's called the memorial view, where we, and this is my own personal conviction, that, that in the bread and in the wine is simply a symbol of the body and blood of our Lord. Now, there are those who take the memorial view who then act like communion's no big deal. And that's really sad. Communion is a huge deal, biblically. It shouldn't be any less meaningful to us because it's not magic. It's to remember what Jesus did for us. And therein is plenty of magic that he took our sins on himself. And so it, communion isn't just drinking a toast to Jesus. It's not just like, well, I can take it or I can leave it. It's something that's important and significant to us because we are doing what Jesus said in remembrance of me. We're commemorating what he did and taking on the lessons that he wanted us to learn at that time. And so it's, it's not my conviction that anything magic happens to the stuff, but at the same time, there's an opportunity for us to share what he has done 
in common in a very real and, and special way. Now, again, there are a lot of reasons why I would lean in that, and I'm not going to go into it deeply. But when Jesus said, this is my body, he was still in his body. So they clearly would have understood it to be symbolic at that time. Not only that, if, if they had believed that it was actually his blood, Jews would have never drank it if they thought it actually was his blood because that was forbidden by Jewish law, one of, the, one of the most serious commands that they had. And in fact, worse than that, if Jesus had drank it and it was his blood, then Jesus would have violated the law, in which case he wouldn't have been perfect, in which case he couldn't have died for our sins. So for those reasons and a lot of others, I take it to be symbolic. But if it's important, if it's a big deal, and Paul was, was spends the larger part of a chapter addressing it here, it's important for us to understand it the way he wanted us to understand it. And they were abusing it clearly, and we need to take notice of what the issues were in order for us to not fall into the same errors that they did. So as we continue to read in verse 27, on the basis of the fact that he said, you're preaching the Lord's death when you eat the the bread and drink the cup, Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy or a disrespectful manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. So he said, if you're disrespectful in the way that you approach communion, remember communion is when you are declaring the gospel, when you are saying in a personal way, Jesus Christ died for my sins. He gave himself so that I could be forgiven. And he says, if you're doing that in a way where you're not paying any attention to it, the Corinthians were certainly guilty of that. They were coming together and getting drunk at communion, pigging out on the elements. They were discriminating among themselves as to who was better than others. They had these huge divisions among themselves as they were partaking in that which speaks of our commonality. They didn't get it at all. And he said, look, if you are going to be disrespectful of these elements that speak to us of what Jesus has done for us, then you are disrespecting the body and blood of the Lord because that's the symbol. In the same way that I suppose you could argue that, oh, when someone burns an American flag, what's the big deal? But if you're an American and you see someone burning our flag, They're not just burning a symbol, although that's all they're doing, but they're disrespecting our nation and everything that that flag stands for. Who can forget that time at Dodger Stadium when when somebody ran out on the field and they were trying to light a flag on fire and Rick Monday, a, a player for the Cubs at the time, ran out on the field and grabbed the flag and and rescued it and everyone was cheering and it was a it was a moment that some of us, some of you are too young to remember and the rest of us will probably never forget because symbols mean something. It was a symbolic action of loyalty to our country and appreciation for what it means. And so Paul said, if you disrespect the elements, you're disrespecting the Savior. In the same way that I think if you disrespect a Bible, that's the Word of God, you're being disrespectful to God. It's, it's important to treat 
things that are representative in a way that's worthy of that which it represents. But he goes on and says, and this is really the core of the passage, verse 28, but let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. So when we partake in communion, if we are going to give it its proper place and its proper respect, the task laid before us is one of self-examination. Socrates said, the the unself-examined life is not worth living. In other words, if you're living your life and not paying any attention to your life, not reflecting on it and examining it, what's the point? You're just going through the motions. Man has the capacity, unique capacity, of self-consciousness. Today, as you're at church, if you have a dog that you left at home, I guarantee you right now your dog's not thinking about 2008 and what resolutions they're going to make. Your dog's not thinking about, you know, I need to learn a few new tricks this year. And I've been kind of hard on my owners. I, you know, I need to clean up my act. I need to be different. This year is going to be different. Your dog's not thinking about what am I going to be when I grow up. Uh, Your dog's not thinking about anything right now. They're just chewing on something, (laughs) waiting for you to get home and give them attention and give them more food. That's it. That's all they think about. But for us as humans, we have the capacity to think about ourselves, to scrutinize ourselves, to look ourselves in the mirror and consider our lives and consider the direction of our lives, to consider what we are doing. And Paul calls us to that as a central element of partaking in communion, self-examination, asking ourselves the, the tough questions. What am I doing with my life? Am I in some way failing to do what God is calling me to do? Praying that prayer from Psalm 139, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Communion is a time for us to bear our souls to the Lord and to say, God, I've been blowing it. I've fallen short. I'm I'm sinning. I'm not doing what you want me to do. In these specific areas, and God, it's my intention to do something different, to do something about it this year to look forward to moving out with you, to fulfilling your call in my life, to claiming your promises, to living my life with devotion to you, looking hard at who we are and where we're going and being open to that which God has for our future. Because you see, because of the reality of the cross, we all have a glorious future that's laid out ahead of us. We are all like the children of Israel, ready to leave Egypt. We are packed and ready to move forward. God has laid a road ahead of us. And and in this next year, there are things that he wants to do in and through each of us. But if that's going to happen, changes need to be made. See, the bread is unleavened, which speaks of that which has had sin purged out of it. It's time for us to admit where we've blown it, 
to make a decision to not continue destroying ourselves and destroying those around us, but to live lives that are wholly devoted to our Lord and Savior, to make a difference, to pack and move, to know that because all of our failure is past and that all of our sin has been forgiven, we're not encumbered by that baggage, but we can move forward in God's plans for us in the future. And so he says, examine yourself and then eat. Now, there are people who would use this passage in the next few verses and say, what this means is unless you have you know, cleaned up your act and unless, you know, if you have any kind of sin in your life, then you can't take communion. Don't take it. If you do, you might get sick or even die. And that's not what he's saying. He's encouraging them to take communion. But what he's saying is, examine yourself and then partake in communion. Eat and drink. Participate. Just be honest with yourself while you do it. That's all. That's all that's standing between any of us in communion is just to confess our sins. Now he goes on to say, He who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body, not discriminating, not seeing the difference, not realizing this is all about change. Whether he's referring to the Lord's body as being literally his body or whether he's referring to the body of Christ as a whole, both probably apply in this passage. And he's saying, what this is about is you're saying, I'm going to be different. We are different. We are to stand out as examples. Something's been done for us that's unprecedented. And if I don't discern the Lord's body, if I don't realize, wow, this is a whole different deal, then I will likely be disrespectful of the elements and of the ceremony. Now, when people aren't discerning, he says, for this reason, verse 30, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep or are dead. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we're chastened or spanked by the Lord, that we may not be condemned with the world. This doesn't mean that if you take communion and you know, your heart wasn't quite ready or you weren't really paying attention during the message, that your God's going to make you sick or maybe even kill you. So be really careful. There are some people who just are so superstitious. But what it means is, is that, well, think about it. What does sin do? Sin destroys us. It corrupts us. It makes us sick, and eventually it kills us. What God is trying to protect us from is ourselves and each other. He's trying to help us to realize that the natural bent of our lives is one that will ruin us, will destroy us. So many of the times, I mean, being sick is a part of a sinful world, but let's face it, so many of the times we're sick because we didn't listen to God. We did things wrong ate things he wouldn't want us to eat, did things beyond what he would want us to do. I can, with this present um, cold that I have right now, I can remember the moment 
when I was walking out on the pier, and it was cold, and inside me there was a voice saying, go back and get your warmer jacket. And I was arguing with the Lord all the way down the pier, and all the way back down the pier, I'll be fine. I was telling him what everyone always tells me, oh, you don't get a cold from getting cold. You just catch a virus, and it has nothing to do with getting cold. But deep inside, I knew I was going to get a cold. It started there, and I just didn't listen to God. Now, that's maybe a little thing, because you know, eventually you're going to get over a cold, and hopefully you learn a lesson from it. You pay the price for it. There are a lot of sicknesses that you don't get over so easily. But the truth is, sin is one big sickness. It's what Jesus Christ died to heal us from. By his stripes, we are healed. But if we listen to him, if we will allow him to speak and to communicate with us, oh, there are so many problems that he would save us from and protect us from if we would just pay attention. And so I think what Paul is saying is, Man, communion is a great time for self-examination, for repentance from your sins, for resolving yourself to move forward with the Lord, to, to listening to that voice inside of you, that new covenant voice that is leading you and guiding you and convicting you. Pay attention to that. Plenty of people are sick and some have died because they don't listen to that still small voice because they won't allow their lives to be aligned with that new covenant leading from God. And so he says, hey, if you judge yourself, you could save yourself a lot of trouble. Ultimately, condemnation comes to people who don't judge themselves. To people who do judge themselves, chastisement comes, spankings. God will allow you to go through something, and you get to learn from it. But you're going to go through tough things regardless of whether you listen to God or not. So the point is, why not listen and benefit from it, receive discipline from the Lord, instead of going through it for nothing, going through your hard times with no fruit at all. And so he goes on to say in verse 33, back to what he was talking about earlier, Therefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. But if anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, lest you come together for judgment, and the rest I'll set in order when I come. In other words, he says, look, if you don't understand everything I'm saying, quit pigging out at communion. Quit being so selfish. Stop being so divisive, so critical of each other. Get together on this. Do the best you can to examine yourself. And Paul says, when I come... I'll explain it a little bit more. There's a lot to this. This is so deep. This is so special. This is so important. And it is for us, too. You know, there might be somebody here today who's never even entered into a relationship with Jesus Christ. And you think, wow, communion sounds like a real special thing, and I don't want to defile it because I'm not really one of you. Well, you don't need to attend a class or sign up for anything you can become one of us. All communion means is that you realize that you've sinned and that Jesus Christ died for your sins. And he 
wants you to participate with him, to allow him to become a part of you, for his word to sink down into your heart. He wants to talk to you from inside, not from outside. And that's what the Bible calls being born again. That's what Jesus calls it. It's a chance to start over. And you know, there's no better time like winding up the end of one year and moving into the next to say, you know what, I need to start over. If you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, just within your own heart, examine yourself. And if that's something that you want to do, just tell him right now in your heart, just say, Jesus, I want you to be my Savior. I want to give my life to you. And if you do that, you can partake in communion with all of us. I'd hate for anybody to be here and not partake in communion. Oh, maybe you've been really in rebellion against God and you've been sinning horribly. And now, oh no, communion. I'm afraid to take it because I haven't been living a good life. Who cares? Repent. Examine yourself. Admit your failure. And take the bread and the cup. And start over now. It's a new year. It's a new covenant. It's a new relationship that God wants to have with each of us. And that's what communion means. And this is something that we can all share. We can all share it because Jesus did laid the iniquity of us all on him. He paid for all of our sins. So we get a fresh start. We get a new deal. But this is a good opportunity to look at yourself too. Just be honest about where you are about what you haven't done, what you have. Be honest in your commitment to him to say, I want to move forward. I want to head into the promised land. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for paying for this covenant with your life. God, we don't, we don't deserve it. For someone to die for us, only you could think that's a good deal because of your great love that you have for us. Lord, as the elements are passed out of communion, remind us of what you did for us and why. And may we examine ourselves even in these few moments. May we face reality and receive forgiveness. Receive guidance and wisdom and strength and hope for the future as we move into a new year with you. In Jesus' name, amen. I'd like to-